0: Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Tini, and this is The Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another episode, and today we are going to explore how to drive large-scale ecological restoration through private sector funding. And we do it with the director and co-founder of RePlanet, Isabel Hoffman. Isabel, thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: It's a real pleasure. You know, I was interested and very curious about your RePlanet and the work that you are doing. But usually, as, as we do with all the guests, we want to understand how you have become an actor and a change maker in this field
1: i started off doing my degree at edinburgh university in ecological and environmental sciences with management so quite a mouthful of a degree and following that i went off to various sunny places and was a research assistant in um, madagascar and the maldives and indonesia looking at manta rays and coral and all the lovely things that you think of when you think of environmental scientists and then you know the next logical step was should I go into academia should I do a PhD but that wasn't really me so I um, came back to London and I started working for a wonderful organisation called the Capitals Coalition and the ambition of the Capitals Coalition is to redefine value to transform decision making across finance business and government and what that basically means is making sure that we're not only thinking about monetary value and about produced capital but we're also taking into account natural social and human capital when we're making our decisions so I've been there for two and a half years it was very incredible experience learning systems thinking and how different bits fit together and not just looking at issues and silos but really looking at the whole system and what I've done now is take that sort of understanding of where the breaks are in the system where the problems are and to focus it in on one particular issue and that is driving finance towards the huge loss of nature that we're seeing in the world and making sure that we can sustainably fund restoration and conservation and that is what we are doing at replanet so the way that that started is um like many things a, a pandemic story a zoom story we were all sitting I was sitting on my laptop at home wondering what I was going to do um, and where life was going. And I got an email from someone that I'd worked with while I was at Edinburgh saying, do you know any mangrove scientists? I said, Yes, I do. Actually, I worked with some in Madagascar. So we all got together on a Zoom and we thought, hey, let's let's start a company because we've got a great idea and we've got a great network and in people who are interested in making a difference. They just don't know how. And uh, so that's when RePlanet was founded back in 2020.
0: Wonderful, wonderful story. I can see, you know, really the purpose. And from your experiences now, you have gone now to really make an impact in the world. And I want to ask, you know, you mentioned mangroves and do you know somebody, (laughs) mangrove, and then a company was started. Uh, We are familiar with it, but for the people, maybe they are listening to us. Why mangroves are so important?
1: So mangroves are one of the most carbon rich ecosystems in the world. Uh, much more than forests are because you don't only have the above ground biomass, so the trunk and the leaves, but you also have the below ground biomass. Because when leaves fall from mangrove trees, they're stored as carbon below the water table because of the anoxic conditions that kind of prevent CO2 from decomposing. So they're really unique ecosystems where you just have a huge amount of carbon stored. And of course, they also have tons of other ecosystem services. They prevent erosion. They protect against storm surges, and they also um, nursery habitat for fisheries, um, and they are really the life support of many communities around the world. And very sadly, there are huge areas of mangroves that are being deforested in the world. there's a lot of room for this kind of work that we're
0: doing. Having been also some experience in that I can see mangroves are a wonderful ecosystem they are providing so much services for the community and the people and the environment and then now Replanet as you say from a phone call and a discussion with friends was born. Can you give us a bit of a history and the mission that uh, you have envisioned when founding?
1: Yeah so Replanet's mission is to increase the financial viability of ecological restoration and we're doing that specifically by attracting private sector funding to drive mangrove reforestation so we started out thinking that we wanted to create a company to make this not a philanthropic endeavor but something that was going to be able to keep itself running and to prove its concept through the fact that there is a lot of value stored in the world if we can kind of optimize how we can how we can use that so we do this by replanting very large areas of degraded mangroves which we fund by forward selling high quality carbon credits to corporates that have these ambitious decarbonization commitments so while we were setting this up um, we realized that it was a little bit insane to not be accounting for the biodiversity benefits that we were generating when we foresting because these are really areas where there is absolutely nothing left. We're changing all the hydrology and we are replanting all of these areas. So you're going from an area of very little biodiversity to an area of very high biodiversity. So about a year into the work that we're doing at Replanet, we decided to co-found another sister company um, called the Biodiversity Credit Company. And that, um, through that vehicle, we're developing biodiversity credits, which basically will allow to quantify an uplift of biodiversity in the same way as you would quantify an uplift or sequestration of carbon. And so what we're doing is, at the moment, we're about to start planting our site in Honduras, um, where we'll be doing both, so mangrove reforestation, where we'll be generating both carbon and biodiversity credits.
0: I want to go a bit deeper. Because I'm sure people now, everybody, even when you buy now, you buy a a ticket on the plane, some companies, they send you, do you want to offset and then buy this and buy that? But the biodiversity side, I think, is, is kind of new for many of us. Can you explain it a bit more?
1: We know that we need almost $800 billion spent on wildlife per year to achieve our nature targets. That's according to the CBD to the Convention on Biodiversity but at the moment we're like really not at all at that level. Um, And I don't think this is because people don't think that nature is important. And I don't think it's because they don't have the money. Last year, the, the carbon market, we saw 851 billion US dollars invested in carbon market in 2021. And that is only from the private sector and that's only in Europe. So the money's there, but it's just not getting to nature. We think that the main reason for this is because there's no way to quantify a unit of biodiversity in the same way as you quantify a tonne of carbon. And so the logical way of being able to address that issue is finding a methodology that does exactly that. So there is an organisation called the Wallacea Trust, which is a charity, um, that have developed a biodiversity credit methodology in consultation with Lots of different organisations, lots of different academics. And through the Biodiversity Credit Company, we're actually piloting that methodology that there's strong links between, between the two of us. And to, part of that piloting is getting it turned into a standard by one of the credit issuance organisations. So, you know, you've got different ones around the world. And we work with Plan Vivo because they've got this very strong community element and we work with them already on the carbon side. So we're big fans of how Plan Vivo works. And of course, if you get it independently certified by an organization, you have this third party validation and verification, and you can issue these credits, which then can then be monetized, which brings extra income into the area. So the method, it uses the same principle as the consumer price index. So basically it's a basket of goods and services in a country that are priced up and they're used to quantify inflation rates. Most people will know this. We quantify inflation rates around the world from different countries but each country uses completely different baskets of goods and services so what we were thinking was why not use exactly the same approach for biodiversity so you have a basket of at least five different metrics and they represent the conservation objectives of a particular site okay let's take two examples a lowland farm in the uk that wants to develop rewilding project they will obviously use completely different metrics to an Indonesian coral reef that's trying to conserve biodiversity on the reef. But in both cases, you can quantify the avoided loss or the uplift of biodiversity using this methodology. So, that change, that uplift, is what you can convert into a carbon credit and what you can sell. So, basically, what this methodology does is that it defines one unit of biodiversity as a 1% uplift or 1% of avoided loss in the median value of your different metrics per hectare. So it's a little bit technical, but what's really exciting about this idea of a biodiversity credit is that it puts biodiversity on an equal footing to carbon. So what it actually does is it bridges that funding gap you really see at the beginning of rewilding or reforestation projects because you're not going to be able to get money straight away from your ecotourism or from other sources at the beginning when there's nothing there it's really difficult to make ends meet and to make sure that it's a profitable endeavor and that's everything that we're trying to do here is to make sure that everyone can do this sort of rewilding work and that it really has a business value so one thing that I want to, to highlight is that this methodology is it's not an attempt to um, measure the biodiversity footprint of a company. You know, there are lots of really excellent initiatives that are developing very complex metrics to do that. You know, thinking about the EU Align project and Star or Bebop, these are just a few examples of metrics that are doing footprinting. But what we're doing here is just allowing companies that want to invest in nature to quantify the benefit that they're generating in the same way as they can quantify the benefits that they're generating for carbon. And I think that really being able to define that and to quantify it is going to unleash the huge amount of money that's stored in, in the carbon market and start funneling it a little bit more towards nature as well.
0: I think when you're talking, for me, uh, it's, I can see it's a more holistic way to represent you know, this way of projects and, and conservation. Why focusing on the carbon, it's just one metric. And sometimes with carbon, especially with reforestation, you can have also green deserts, you know. And then instead here, you have a more complex and you take in account also the specific of that environment, that project. And then you see also the work uh, that you are and the transformation that you are unlocking. And I found that approach extremely interesting. And before going, you know, maybe I want to, since you are an expert in the discussion, I want to ask you a bit of, What is the way forward for replanning? Where do you want to go? And which are the the impact and the areas that you are targeting in the next maybe one to five years?
1: What we're looking to do is to start um, stacking biodiversity and carbon credits at the same site, because we want to show that sometimes you have a site that has a lot of carbon potential and not very much biodiversity potential. And at the same time, other sites have got a lot of biodiversity potential, but they're not carbon rich environments. And we want to show that both nature and climate are two different things that can work together, Suddenly, can help each other, but they, they both deserve to have their own sources of funding coming into them. And if you can stack the two of them and balance off the costs of each of them, then you can make basically any project for conservation or for rewilding um, a business a appropriate situation. So we're doing, that's what we want to do scientifically on the ground. And then more conceptually, we're trying to also be a sort of laboratory where we show that a company can do good and be profitable. And so investing in nature can have a return and it can also be a very positive thing. So there's sort of two sides, more conceptual and more on the ground. Ultimately, what we're trying to do is to make sure that all these areas of degraded land are not degraded anymore, but to do that we need money and to do that we need to prove the business case
0: and I think the business case is quite strong and if you see what the Stockholm Institute is teaching and they reaching tipping point and one of them is biodiversity loss and this destruction. I think your work and especially bringing in businesses to profit solving real issues i think is, is a real strong proposition and my next question is about you know there was a lot of discussions, especially on the carbon, some people, I, I recall some documents from organizations saying, you know, we need to scrap it uh, all together, you know, if you recall before COP26, either they are defending, so, you know, what is the the future, especially in the two areas, and especially the nature, the carbon market, and especially how to ensure Integrity, not exploitation, especially of communities at the grassroots level.
1: That's a really, really big problem in the current carbon market. And it's something that we feel really strongly about at RePlanet and the biodiversity credit company. That if you're going to have successful projects that are going to last a long time and and actually work, you have to take into account the people that live in the area, the host community. so we have a very firm policy at, at Replanet and the to credit company that 60% of the final sale price of the credits should go back to this first community. And that's through salaries because they're employed to actually look after the mangroves and to plant the mangroves. Um, but also through community funds. So an added layer of, of this policy that we have is the fact that um, obviously the carbon at the very least is the the price of carbon is changing all the time it's a hugely fluctuating market and some communities might not want to give up their carbon now because they think oh well maybe i'll get more money for it later and that's a very valid valid reason to not want to sort of uh, sell their credits at that moment but what we have built in then in, in our policy is that it's not only 60 percent of the base price but also 60 percent of any extra price that you would get down the line so we're indexing all credits so that when the credits are actually claimed um you would not be able to just buy it for the base price you would have to pay that extra and that extra would go back to the host communities as well so this is actually at first when we came up with this idea we thought oh the corporates that we're selling to they might not like that it's a little bit risky but the response that we've had has been overwhelming because the last thing that a company wants when they're buying a million carbon credits is for someone to turn around and say hey you have not paid enough for these carbon credits you are taking money away from people who really deserve it and who really really need it companies don't want that so they want some way of protecting the fact that the market might change and even if that means paying a little bit more but being uh, a project of high integrity is something that is very very valuable to companies that have signed up to science-based targets for example or who are looking to make a positive impact not only a
0: neutral impact. I like the hybrid approach that is sometimes you know it puts together the results based you know the action-based approaches and I think what you are saying is really interesting because you really need to safeguard the community also because information is circulating and people have high expectations. I personally have seen many carbon projects fail because of these expectations problems and people that feel you know not rewarded so 60 percent of profit to the host country it's admirable now we are are, are approaching the end of the of the episode and i'm sure one thing we always say to people we want to see where you have gone and where have your project that you mentioned honduras and indonesia they have developed but i want to ask you if you can give to the people that are listening uh, all over the world your message your call to action how we can move forward and really how we can act.
1: From the perspective of the work that I'm doing at the moment, there are two things that I think will really change the carbon and the future nature market. One is the fact that biodiversity needs to be considered separately from climate. So biodiversity deserves its own credit. It should not be lumped in into carbon credits. And we've got an opportunity here to redefine some of the shortfalls and the mistakes that were made in the carbon market, we can get those right this time around as the nature market emerges. So strong governance of this new market is something that we really need to focus in on. And I'm not just talking about product specification about what a biodiversity credit is. I'm talking about pricing, trading, all of these things. They need to have rules and we need to get more, the policy angle in place around these nature markets before it's too late. I would also highlight that this 60% should become a standard across all carbon and biodiversity credit markets so it's no good saying that we can just you know pay them a little bit at the beginning and then keep going with our projects we have to include the people that live around these areas from beginning and all the way through the project and 60 percent is the minimum to do that so it, it helps the project every step of the way so i really would push for that to become a standard across the industry
0: those are wonderful points and I, I really like them and it, it's something that we can see to the people a really strong call for action how to ensure biodiversity is not the the, the smallest sister <laughs> as we say of of the the climates and of course if you see also the two convention one cop and the conference parties there and the convention is a bit more less less buzzing even in the news. And on the other side I think that the strong community angle which um, I've seen it's something that should become a standard because we, we mainly especially a lot of projects are done in emerging markets with vulnerable community. So it can bring biodiversity, it can bring climate, and also have the social, strong social impact and work for them. So thank you so much, Isabel. It was a wonderful episode, and I'm sure we will see you maybe in one year time again to see how the project has developed. Thank you so much. It was a great honor.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.